Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. John chapter number one, we'll, we'll stand together and read the word of the Lord together. Uh, we'll begin in verse number 19 as we did this morning. And uh, I'm going to try to preach on that word I told you I was going to preach on this morning and, uh, and uh, do, do my best to stay uh, with where I believe the Lord would have for us today. The Bible says in John chapter number one, verse number 19, the Bible says, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. We dealt with several of these things this morning. Verse 21, he says, And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And they said unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, make straight the way of the Lord, as, he sa- as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and, and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, or Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. You see there in verse, verse 25, it was a little bit of what I mentioned this morning about they wanted to know what authority he had to do what he was doing. If you're not the Christ, and you're not Elijah the prophet, and you're not uh, that prophet, whichever prophet they are, uh, what they are discussing here, they said, if you're not one of those guys, and we didn't send you to do it, I believe is their, uh, their meaning behind this, then why are you baptizing? Verse 26, Jesus, uh, excuse me, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. It is, uh, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond uh, Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the, word of our, the, the words of our text for this particular thought that we'll have the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Here's the word I want us to look at tonight. Behold. That's what I want us to focus on tonight. We'll have to leave the rest of this verse for another day, but tonight let's look at behold. Verse 29, we'll read it again. The Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Uh, Verse 32, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. 
but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer together and we'll get into the message that we have for this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence once again as thankfully and humbly, Lord, as we know how. Thanking you, Lord, for another day and another opportunity, God, that you give us to come uh, into the house of God. Thank you, Lord, for Sunday night church. Lord, so many around us have uh, abandoned Sunday night church. And Lord, it's so good to be able to come and have uh, have uh, something going on on these grounds for your glory, not just in the 11 o'clock hour, but also on Sunday night as well. And Lord, uh, I realize what the scripture says, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And Lord, uh, I believe one of the main reasons for that is, is because we need church more. It says that we are to, we are to not forsake the house of God, and we are to we are to come and assemble together so much the more as we see the day approaching. And Lord God, thank you, God, that we've been able to we've been able to enter into that truth tonight. Lord, the more that we're around the things of God, the more you touch us and the more you help us. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for a private Bible reading. I thank you, Lord, for private prayer time. I thank you, Lord, for private studies in the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for every word in the Bible. I thank you, Lord, for every book that I have that tells me about the Word of God and all of those that I get to study from week to week. And, Lord, every passage you let us to study and read and dig into, all of that personally is wonderful. But, God, we're so thankful when you allow us to come together, Lord, as the body of Christ, to work worship you as a church family, as a, as a body of believers. Lord, we're so thankful for the assembly. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to put its true value upon these days as we look in the Word of God together. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to take uh, the true, uh, the Lord God, to take an evaluation, an estimation of the true value of these moments. God, that you've given us, Lord, that we're not here to just simply go through religious motions and uh, Lord, formalities, but God, we have an opportunity to open the very words of God and to hear, Lord, what you would say to us from your word. It's not man's words on this paper, but Lord, it's your words. May we hear from heaven. Lord, I pray, God, you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. Use me, dear God, I pray, as only you can, to impart some spiritual truth, Lord, some biblical truth to this congregation of people. God, what you've put in me, I pray, God, that you'd help me to preach. And Lord, God, be faithful to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray, dear God, that you'd help each and every one that's here today have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to them. I pray, God, the lost would be saved and the Spirit the Spirit of God would deal with them in conviction that they'd be saved. If there's any in the church that's in that condition tonight, Lord, I pray, God, if there's some that's here that's saved but they're backslid, I pray, God, that you'd minister to that heart as only you can, that they may have fellowship restored. And I pray, dear God, you would do in the life of the saint of God, uh, Lord, that's not backslid. They're doing their best to serve you. God, they came ready to hear something from you. Lord God, that they're just, that they want to feed at your table. I pray, God, that you'd load it on them tonight, all that they need. Not from me, God, I'm not capable. 
But I pray through the Holy Ghost of God, you would feed their soul tonight and give them encouragement, give them strength. God, give them, give them manna from heaven, dear God, I pray. And Father, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do. We'll leave the service in your hands. And God, the results thereof are yours. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us as we preach now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We came to John chapter number one this morning. And uh, I mentioned uh, this morning that there was some things that I wanted us to uh, just try to lay down in terms of the groundwork of where we are in John chapter number one to understand the context, to understand the scriptural narrative. And I hope uh, this morning as the, uh, I truly believe the Spirit of the Lord led in uh, the comments that I tried to make this morning, I tried to be sensitive and to follow him. And I know uh, this morning was a little bit of shotgun here and shotgun there and just thoughts going everywhere. But I hope as we did that uh, this morning that uh, you were able to get a good firm grasp of what is taking place here in the text as John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist and tells us, of this moment in the history of his ministry, uh, when the Jews had come to him, they asked him who he was. He, in honesty, did not claim to be Christ. He did not claim to be Elijah come, uh, returning. He did not claim to be this prophet uh, in which they discussed, but he did tell them that he uh, was the voice. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was the fulfillment of, uh, of Isaiah's prophecy uh, concerning the forerunner of the Lord. Lord Jesus, that John was a very important man uh, in the ministry of the life of the, in the ministry and life of the Lord Jesus, because it was John whose ministry it was. His whole ministry was to pave the way for the ministry of the Lord Jesus, to pave the way uh, for the three and a half years of ministry uh, that the Lord Jesus had on this earth. And I personally believe, if it was not for John. Uh, Jesus' ministry would not have unfolded the way that it did. Uh, John was faithful. And so therefore, him doing what he was supposed to do as a forerunner, it set the stage in preparing uh, the nation of Israel for uh, Jesus to come as their Messiah. And so this morning, we saw a lot of things about John. And I hope along the way, uh, you found some things that you could apply to your life and find strength and help. This, <clears throat> this evening... I want us to come to verse uh, number 29 here in John chapter number 1. And we understand what is taking place as these Jews have come and they've asked John who he is. And we find that scenario that we talked about this morning uh, that it took place. And now as J John has preached Christ to them, those crowds had gathered uh, to hear him speak and to watch him baptize, and he preached Christ to them. Verse 26, he said, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, uh, but there standeth one among you. He's speaking about Christ there. There standeth one among you uh, whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. In other words, I'm his forerunner. I'm going before him, but he was before me. He is God, amen. They would understand what he's talking about. He was from before me. 
He said, whose shoes latch and I'm not worthy uh, to unloose. He says, I'm not even worthy uh, to touch his shoes. I'm not even worthy uh, to be at his feet, to touch the, the dirtiest part of him. I'm not worthy to be able to get down in the dust with him and touch uh, his feet. Amen. Uh, the Bible gives in verse 28 the uh, stamp on the end of that narrative when he said, uh, these things were done in Bethabar beyond uh, Jordan where John was baptized. Now, in verse number 29, the Bible tells us that there is an event that takes place the next day. <clears throat> Remember, I mentioned this morning that in John, uh, John chapter number one, there is, uh, the Bible tells us about a moment in the life of John the Baptist. Well, now I want us to move to the second thing that I mentioned this morning that John chapter number one tells us of a message of John the Baptist. He's already been preaching Christ. We just saw those verses. But now, uh, this next day, we closed out this morning saying that in John chapter one, verse 26 and 27, John preaches Christ. He preaches Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. But now in verse number 29, he begins to preach him as the Lamb of God. He says, next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin. Notice that now, the sin that's singular of the world. Now there's much that I could say on those verses this evening, but what I want to do tonight and over the next couple of services, I want to take this one verse of Scripture and I want us to divide it in three different ways. I want us, number one tonight, to see the demand of John's declaration here. Then, in, in, in coming soon, I want us to see the direction of John's declaration. And then I want us to see the details of John's declaration. Here he says that John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And when he sees Jesus, what he saw propelled him to speak. The Bible says that he saw Jesus and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Here, John is letting these individuals know that there is something, uh, rather there is something in someone that I clearly see, that I clearly understand, that I see in him, that I wish that the rest of you would see in him. He is telling them here that he wants them to see what he sees in Jesus Christ. I think that we as a church, it would do us well to see Jesus as John saw him to take some time and meditate on uh, just this one power-packed verse in the Word of God that is loaded with spiritual truth that John wants us to see Jesus in an appropriate light. God put it in the Bible, and he tells us here in the text how John sees him, and I believe we can apply this to our lives that God wants us to see Jesus as John saw him. So tonight and Technically this morning, but I didn't get that far, but 
Uh, I want us, as we are in this passage and we preach tonight on this demand and this declaration and then later on on the direction and the details, I want to preach on this thought and it may sound like a funny title, but I want us to preach on this thought, beholding like the Baptist. John the Baptist tells us what he saw, what he beheld. And I want to preach on that over the next couple of services, beholding like the Baptist. Here, John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John says, as I've already mentioned, he sees something in Jesus that no one else sees yet. Jesus is passing through the crowd, coming toward John. And think about this. He is pointing him out. And he's in their midst. He's in the crowd. And John has to divert their attention away from whatever it is that they're looking at and point them to Jesus. You know, that, that's one of the things I mentioned this morning. This text, as wonderful as it is, is one that we're so familiar with that we'll just blow right on by and not even think about, uh, about what, is Im- what is implied by the fact that John's making this statement in the first place. That he's having to make this statement in the first place. Brother Charlie, you know what this means? It means that Jesus was able to be in that crowd, amen, on this day in verse number 29, and nobody was impressed with him. He blended in the crowd. Now we understand the Bible tells us that he would. Isaiah 53 tells us that he had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him physically concerning Jesus' physical appearance. Amen. And in a natural sense, there was nothing that made him much more physically attractive than the average Jew. Nothing that would draw their mind to draw their mind and their thoughts to be uh, uh, drawn to his beauty, drawn to uh, the, uh, the, uh, just the way that he looks and how beautiful he is. We understand uh, that there is a man, a different view of Jesus that is to be taken. Matthew chapter number 17, uh, the Bible tells us that Peter, James, and John got to peek into how uh, Jesus really looked on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured and glorified before them. They saw him for how he really is and no doubt how much, how beautiful that is. But in a physical body as he is here, just looking as any man that would have been standing beside of him, they were not very impressed by his appearance. They were not very impressed by his presence. No one was impressed with Jesus as he is here. No one but John even marveled when they saw Jesus. John, in other words, is saying this. It's all, it's, it's, it's John, the Bible says the next day, John seeth Jesus. And when he makes this declaration, it's almost like John is looking at the rest of that crowd gathered there and saying, are y'all not seeing what I'm seeing? John is marveling at him. John now knows who he is. But the rest of them are not impressed. 
Can I say this? We are living in a world today where you and I that are saved, and I hope, amen, you're walking with the Lord because if you're not walking with God and you're not sold out to the Lord, you may not see him very clearly either. You may not find very much uh, to marvel in, amen, if you're not walking with the Lord the way that you ought to and let him show his true self to you day by day in the word of God and in the prayer closet and the events of your life. Amen. There may be a lot of things that you miss out on if you're saved but not close to Jesus. But can I say this this evening? We're living in a world toward those of us that are saved and walking with God. There's some things that we see in Jesus Christ. There's some things that we know about Jesus that's the, that the rest of the world, we can look at the rest of the world and say, do you not see what I see? And the reason is because they don't. They're not impressed. They're, they're not concerned with him. As far as they're concerned, he's just like any other prophet, just like any other religious leader, just like any spiritual teacher of, day, of days gone by. Amen. They're not impressed. But I'm telling you, you and I ought to be like John and let a lost and dying world know that there is something to marvel at in Jesus Christ, that there is something to behold in him. Amen. John was not satisfied with it just being okay for them to be unimpressed with Jesus Christ. How, how motivated are we? How bothered are we by the fact that others are just simply not interested? For you not to be interested in the God that I have and the Savior that I have, you must see him differently than I do. Amen. John here is letting us know that he was marveling in Jesus while the rest of the crowd saw him as one that just blended in the crowd. Here's the reason why they weren't impressed with Jesus. It's because they weren't looking at Jesus. You know who they were looking at? They were looking at John. You see, these Pharisees, I showed it to you this morning. It seems like these Pharisees were very impressed by John. The crowds came to John and they, he, uh, truly John was a man to behold. He dressed different than everybody else. Somebody probably thought, oh, that's interesting. Look at what, what kind of a centric Man, this is, I'm telling you, amen, you can have an attraction of curiosities anywhere, amen. There's people who used to make, make hundreds and thousands of dollars by setting up shops for all of the oddities that people would come from miles around just to see something crazy, just to see something weird, amen. I, I, you think about men like P.T. Barnum. He spent most of his life lying to people just for them to see something odd or weird. Normal people. He dressed them up like something that was strange and people would come from miles around and pay hard-earned money just to see whatever thing that he had concocted and that he had created a normal person to be. People want to be drawn to something. They want to have something that captivates their attention. But sadly to say, the thing that most folks are interested in, capturing their attention, uh, does not look higher than this world. They're not as captivated by spiritual things as they are carnal things. They're not as captivated by eternal things as they are temporal things. These individuals, they were captivated by John. 
by his oratory abilities, by the gifts that God had given him. And they were looking at someone who was doing a work for God and God was using in an amazing way. And they said, oh, what a wonderful man. They were impressed by the man. They were, think about how, how hard this would be to fathom with one of us. They were impressed with John while Jesus was in their midst. Here's what I'll tell you tonight, and I know this is sad to admit, but the world that we're living in, when it comes to spiritual things, they are more impressed with men yes, sir. than they are the Lord. Right. You can, if you've got a personality, I don't have much of one. I don't need any amens on that. <laughs> Amen. I never have had a alluring personality. I've never had a charismatic draw about me. There's very little that people are just drawn to about me. I've always had a little bit of a dry sense of humor and dry wit, and my personality falls flat a lot of times. Not as bad as some I've known. <laughs> Better than some, but not much. Speaking back to church, if you want to draw a crowd on my personality, it will never happen. If you want to draw a crowd on my oratory abilities, I'm telling you, it'll never happen. If you want to draw a crowd and build a ministry based on a man, it will never happen with me. And to be honest with you, I'm not interested in it happening. Amen. Amen. I hope you'd want a pastor wouldn't be interested in that. Yes, so many people build ministries on personality. Yes. I will say this. I do not believe that God bases a ministry on a man. I do believe that God does build his ministries around a man, but I don't believe he does it on a man. God uses men in ministry. God uses different people in different seasons in different ways in churches, different pastors in different seasons of the church's ministry and things of that nature. But God will never build his ministry on a man. And so many times you and I as fleshly beings will plug in to the servant and we'll miss the Savior. They were looking at John, how impressed they were with John. And Jesus could be standing in the midst and they're not impressed by him because they've got their eyes so focused on John. They haven't even taken the time to see Jesus. And John here, no doubt, feeling the, feeling the looks upon him and the eyes of men upon him. He's saying, no, no, no. We've got this thing backwards. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin. There's looking at John here. God has given John a perspective when he sees Jesus that I mentioned this morning that John himself had never even had before. The Bible says there in verse 30, this of he, excuse me, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. John says in verse 31, and I knew him not. I didn't know that this one that is before me, this one that was coming after me, this Messiah that I am paving the way for and being a forerunner for. He said, I didn't know it was him. 
but that he should be made manifest to Israel. All he knew is that there was a Messiah that was coming that God was going to reveal to Israel in God's timing. He said, I knew that was going to happen, but the person that was the Messiah, I did not know. And he said, therefore, and when I come baptizing with water, he said, I'm just being faithful on my post. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing until God manifests him and still God made until God makes it plain who he is I'm going to just preach I'm going to declare I want to be the forerunner I want to baptize with water I'm going to be faithful in my post until God makes it manifest but the Bible says here in verse 32 and John bear record saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him he said verse 33 and I knew him not but that he sent me to baptize with water. He's talking about God. He knew God had sent him to baptize with water to be that forerunner baptizing with water. But he said the same, speaking about God, the one that sent him to baptize with water said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. God let him know that I have a particular way that I'm going to identify him to you. It's going to be when you see the Spirit of God descending upon him and remaining upon him. And that happened for John when he baptized the Lord in the River Jordan. He saw that and he knew that God had let him know that the one the Spirit of God came down on and remained on, it's him that is the Christ. John did not always have this perspective, but God had given him a unique perspective. And if God can work on how John views Jesus, no doubt God can work on how we see him tonight. John tells them in verse 29, he says, you don't need to be looking at me. You need to be looking at Jesus Today, I want, as I said, I want to preach on beholding like the Baptist. I want to talk about the demand here in this declaration as John takes their attention off of him and off of whatever it is that they're looking at. And he tries to direct it toward the Lord Jesus. John sets his eyes on Jesus and proclaims to this crowd for them to divert their eyes off of whatever it is on, whether it be John, whether it be other men, whether they be looking at the water that he is baptizing in, whether it may be possibly the religious bigwigs that are standing by, may it be possibly, uh, amen, may it possibly be just other elements of nature that they're standing there by the river and they're looking at and just enjoying the uh, beautiful scenes of uh, of. God's creation, whatever it is that they were looking at, whether it was a bird in the sky chirping, amen, whatever it was, uh, he told them to put their eyes on the only thing that matters in this moment. There'll be plenty of time to enjoy nature. There'll be plenty of time to look around. There'll be plenty of time when the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, when he moves along and he's not in your midst, there'll be plenty of time to enjoy looking around. But while he's here, set your eyes upon him. The most important thing. The Messiah, the Christ, has arrived and he is walking in their midst. He directs them in verse number 29 to behold. As I've stated here in John's declaration in verse number 29, this word behold is a demand. It's not something that he is giving them if you want to look this way. John doesn't say if you want to. 
He doesn't say if you feel like it. In this moment, they hear him say, Behold. And I don't know about you, but if somebody were to just say that, I don't know about you, but when somebody, so you, you're focused on something and somebody just starts talking, especially if it's animated or especially if there's some volume to it, amen, if there's some gumption behind what they're saying, you may be focusing on one thing or another, but I'm telling you, when somebody gets with it saying something, when you weren't expecting it, guess what, it'll arrest your attention. It'll make you want to look around and find whatever they're talking about. Amen. For no other reason for, for you to just know what's going on around you. Amen. Here we find he tells them to behold. He gives them this as a demand. He is saying that there is something that you need to do. Amen. That there's someone that you need to see. There's something, someone that you need to divert your eyes on to. Amen. That there is no time to play games. You need to do it. He says, behold. Can I give you just real quickly tonight a couple of details about this word behold? That's all I'll get to tonight. Can I say first of all, the word behold is a curious word. Think about this. It's, when we, this, it's a curious word when we read it here in the pages of our Bibles. And here's the reason why it's so curious is because very few times do we use it in the day that we live in. You know, if somebody were to say this statement, behold, the Lamb of God was taken away to sin of the world, we would, we would understand what's being said, but it would be very different. In the day that we're living in, do you know where you normally hear words like behold? Y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but it's usually either in legal documents or Shakespearean plays. That's about it. There, there are a few times that we'll say, hey, would you look at this? We very, we very seldom ever say, behold. However, I'll submit to you this evening that the word behold, while it is curious, while it is one that has a more regal feel to it than we use in our common vernacular, our common speech, and it seems like it's something that should be in the legal world or the entertainment world. It is a word that in our King James Bible, it is used 1,326 times. It is a word that is very important in the word of God. It is a word that God has chosen to use to open our eyes. God has chosen to use this word as a word that directs us from whatever we're focused on to what he would have for us to be focused on. You'd be surprised. I don't have the time to run the references this evening. Look it up in your Bible. Took up and took up four pages in my Strong's Concordance alone. Y'all know what I'm... You can use a Bible software, and I do. But I like to sometimes just pull out a, pull out a book and have a book in my hand. Y'all know the, the strong concordances that are the size of a coffee table. Those books, four whole pages devoted to just this one word. 1,326 times. And if you did a word study on the word behold, you would find out that some of the most glorious verses in your Bible has starts with this direction. Or with this demand. 
We see here as he tells us a little bit about this, amen, it is a word, as I've said, that redirects redirects one's attention. It is a word that is used in moments of great importance in Scripture. It is a word that in the Bible is used to denote both surprise and sight. I studied this word and looked it up in my Strong's Concordance and Strong's had a little bit to tell me about this word as it was used in the Greek language in which our New Testament derives from. And the most common time that this is used in the Greek language is something that is a surprise. In other words, something that it's almost like in John one twenty nine that John was not expecting Jesus to come through the way that he did. He just saw him coming through the crowd. This word lets us know if it does uh, carry the idea of surprise. It lets us know that when John saw what he saw, it began to stir him emotionally in his heart. He got excited about what he was seeing. He was he he was being blessed. On the inside, I wasn't expecting to see the Messiah today, but here he is. I wasn't expecting uh, right now in this moment uh, to discuss him, but he just says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What he says is bubbling out of the excitement of his heart. He sees what he sees. It directs our focus. It is a word of sight, but also a surprise. He was glad. John, when he sees him, he was glad to have saw him, and he wanted others uh, to see him how he saw him. This word, behold, in our Bibles, remember I mentioned to you that it is a word that is used in the Bible, and you'll have to, you'll have to chase down the references. You can probably do it better than I can. You'll have to chase down these references. But let me just give you a little bit of a summary as to how the word behold is used in your Bible. In Genesis chapter number one, the word behold is used in reference to God's creative work, his creation. In Genesis chapter number three and four and also in Genesis chapter number six, it is used to deal with both corruption and judgment. In Genesis chapter number 22, it deals with sacrifice. Sounds a little bit like John 129 in our text, doesn't it? In Exodus chapter number 4, it is used to speak a word of warning to God's people, the children of Israel. In Job chapter number 8, the word behold is used when dealing with the chastening hand of our God. In the book of Psalms and in the book of Proverbs, the word behold is used over and over again as an exclamation to direct our attention to instruction on how to live for the Lord. Over and over again, God tells tells his people, I know there is a way that seemeth right unto man. I know there is a direction that you're headed. I know that there's some things that feel right in your heart to do and to go the way of the world. I know that's the way you're going but let me just for a moment have you behold the other side let me just redirect you to the way you need to be living for the Lord that's how we use it in the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs y'all think about this this evening in the song of Solomon this word is used as one lover looks at the lover of their soul behold over and over again they're viewing 
each other. And there is a love affair that pictures the love affair between Christ and His church. And God uses the word behold over and over again to direct us to the great love that pictures His love for us. In Isaiah chapter number 7, in verse number 14, the word behold is used to direct us to that babe born of a virgin that would be called Emmanuel. It is used in Isaiah 59 and verse number 1 to let us know that God's hand can always reach way down and reach a lost sinner. In Jeremiah 18 verse number 3, it is used as we are taken by the Spirit of God to the potter's house and it directs our attention to the work that the potter is doing on the wheel. If I can say this, the word behold points us to the wheel of the potter. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it is used to tell us of a coming new covenant that would be established in Israel's future, one that we enjoy in very many ways today. In Ezekiel chapter number 18 and verse number 4, the word behold is used to show us the sovereign hand of God in salvation. In Amos chapter number 8 and verse number 11, it is used to tell us of a coming famine in the land, a famine that would not be of bread, but of the word of God. Every time this word is used in the Gospels, it is used concerning the Lord Jesus, either being said from his mouth or in reference to him, uh, in reference to him uh, doing a mighty work in his Father's will. It is used to tell of his miracles. Every time it is used in the Gospels, Jesus is changing a life forever. Primarily when this word is used in the Pauline epistles is being used to teach a new church doctrine. That every church of the living God, every local church that ever would be, every group of believers that gather just like we do this evening, when John, or excuse me, when Paul uses the word behold in his Pauline epistles and the letters that he wrote, uh, amen, that make up 14 books of the 27 in our New Testament, he uses them to establish truth that you and I still Preach in our churches, teach in our Sunday school class, read in our devotions, and try by the help and the grace of God to align ourselves with those teachings that we may please Him who hath chosen us to be a soldier. It is an important word in our Bible. Can I say this this evening? I believe that God places uh, this word there for a reason. I believe that John the Baptist said it to this Bethabarian crowd that they needed to behold. Amen. He tells them that they need to behold. And I believe that God is wanting us to behold what John beheld. Amen. Can I say this? It is a curious word, but can I move on this second thought? When you think about the word behold, not only is it curious, not not only is it something that uh, draws us to contemplation and, and what a wonderful word it is in the Bible and how God has used it and no doubt how God uses it in this verse of all verses that we're looking at tonight. It's a curious word, but can I say this? I hope this is not too much of a stretch, but it is a current word. And when I say it's a current word, I'm not just talking about it still in the dictionary. Yes, that does. Yes, it is. <coughs> But that's not what I'm talking about. I know this probably sounds odd. You know, I'm a, y'all know I, I love to preach words. Tonight is no 
It's not surprising to y'all that I can preach a sermon on a word. I do it all often. But I was studying for this, and the other night I began to be interested in the parts that make up this word. This word is a word that is a word that is created by the combination of two words that we already know and understand. The word be and the word hold. Be is a word that we use to speak of something that is current. A situation that is happening right now. now I, we, right now, you are sitting in that chair. You are sitting there currently. That is where you are. That's where your being is right now. It is a word that denotes something that is taking place in the moment. When he tells them behold, you cannot have behold without noticing be a current state. In other words, John had something that he needed to tell them uh, that they did not want to wait. He did not want them to wait to lay their eyes upon this. He wanted them to be doing what he's telling them to do in the moment. It's a current word. B tells us it's a current word. But can I say this? It's also a constant word. B, hold. Hold is a word that denotes constancy. It is a word that lets us know that uh, something is being preserved. Something is being held. Something is continuing on. When he says, I want you to be whole, he's saying, I want you in this moment to look where I'm look, telling you to look, and I want you to hold that look. I want you to keep a constant gaze at what I'm telling you to look at. Who I'm telling you to look at. Here, when someone tells you, think about when someone tells us to hold on to something, they want us to constantly keep on holding it until the moment that they retrieve it from us or we come to them to relieve them of the duty that we have placed upon them of holding whatever it is we tell them to hold. You know, I think about in my home, this church was gracious enough to buy this Bible for me and y'all spent, spent uh, very good money for this Bible. It is very uh, well put together. It's supposed to last a lifetime. And it, it's, it, to, to, to be honest, and I say thank you, it is an expensive Bible. Because it is, I don't just let anybody hold this. I was at the meeting, I was at the meeting uh, uh, yesterday on Saturday, or no, excuse me, it was Friday night. Brother Sam Kaminsky was showing somebody my Bible, and I, I be honest with you, uh, Brother Cody, I, I, I didn't know what he was doing at first. I called him out of the corner of my eye, snatching up my Bible and handing it to somebody. Uh, Brother Brandon, before I even knew what I was doing, I snatched it out of his hand. And I asked him, what are you doing? He said, I just... I just, I, I had the same Bible you do. And I just, I wanted to show this. I don't remember who the preacher was. He said, I just wanted to show him what it looked like. I said, that's okay. All right, you can have it. But I'm telling you, I'm awfully protective of this Bible. Amen. I'm talking to some of my most precious preacher friends in the world. Amen. Be borderline rude and just snatch it right out of their hand. I don't know what you're doing with my Bible. Leave it alone. Amen. Brother Jeremy, this is a book that none of my children are allowed to touch. They're not. 
They know it is against my rules for them to hold this Bible. They're not allowed to hold it. They're not allowed to turn the pages. I'm telling you, I have Bibles in the past that have highlight marks in them that my two-year-old, when Wyatt was two years old, I was studying to preach out. I was studying to preach one Christmas here at the church. I think it was my first Christmas here. And I was preparing to preach in the Christmas service. If I brought that Bible tonight, I could turn to Luke chapter number two and show you all the little green scribbles that he put on the page. I don't trust him with my Bibles. He does better now than he did it too. But why I'll tell you, he's not allowed to touch his Bible. I'll never look at him and say, hey, will you hold this for me until I retrieve it from you? Here's the reason why. He might be able to carry it in a, in a brief amount of time, but if I'm wanting him to carry it for me or hold it for me, he's going to have his hands on it for a while. It's a word of constancy. He's going to have his hands on it for a while. And I don't know about y'all, but five-year-olds don't have the attention span to hold a $200 Bible. They'll put it down. And in my house, he'll put it down, and little Maisie will get a hold of it. And Maisie just loves to turn pages. And she turns them right on out of the cover, right on out of the spine. And so, therefore, they don't get to be around Daddy's Bible. It's a word of constancy. He's telling, he's telling them here, I don't, listen to me now, I'm almost done. He's telling them, I don't want you to take your eyes off of him. What? If he stays here the rest of the day, it would do well for you to just sit there and look at him. Behold him. You turn your eyes on him. You look at him in this moment and you do it right now. There's nothing else that is important enough for you to look at. There's no one else that is as important as he is to look at him. You don't need to worry about anything else. You turn your attention to him. You do it right now. And when you get your eyes on him, keep them there. Behold, it's a curious word. It's a current word. It's a constant word. Can I give you this? It's a concise word. I mentioned I was preaching on one man alive. I've been preaching 50 minutes. Y'all give me just two or three more minutes and I'll be done. I'm telling you, I love this passage. When John uses that word behold here in the text, it's not something that's hard to understand. It's not hard for us to read. I know the preaching I'm done tonight has probably been more simple, probably insulted your, it's probably insulted your intelligence just by me preaching so simple this evening and just, just being so low on the, on, on the shelf of, of truth. I, I could have probably given you something deeper. I probably could have given you something that feeds you a little bit more. But this word, it's so simple. It's so concise. There's no, no doubt as to what John was wanting from them. Behold. He, didn't, he did not give them a string of words. He gave them one. He did not waste any time or any words telling them what they needed to know. He told them what they needed, what he needed them to know in the word behold. If he would have delayed, they probably would have missed Jesus being in their midst. Think about that. They probably would have missed out on it. John had to get this message to them as quickly as possible. They might have missed out on Jesus if he would not. Amen. He had been standing by and drifted through the crowd and walked away. But there were some that got to see Jesus because 
John spoke something concise. John gave it to them. And in giving it to them, they were able to know what he wanted them to do. You know, I think about, and I'm using another, amen, when you have, when you have small kids like I do, they, they're always very interesting. And they always leave me with a thousand stories a week. You know, there's something, y'all know, my, y'all know Wyatt, my oldest son, he, he even came in this morning. He is obsessed with deer hunting. You want, to, you want to find out something about how to hunt deer? You ask him. He's, he's not always right, but he's never in doubt. I can tell you that. And, uh, but he does, know, he does know a lot for a five-year-old about that subject. One of the things that we'll do to try to arrest Wyatt's attention when we're going down the road is we'll look for deer. I don't know how many of y'all have ever done that. We do that. You live in the country, amen, like all of us do. There's plenty, plenty of uh, targets to look at, and so... Uh, we, we, we try to look for deer going down the road, but there's a lot of times, more times than not, his mom and I will see a deer and we'll say, Wyatt, deer! And he'll just gradually look up and look around and he'll say, where is it? You missed it. You took your time and looking for it. You missed it. It's already gone. It's already went back in the woods. Here in the passage, they very well could have missed out on the greatest thing their eyes would ever be laid upon if, they, if John did not give them something concise and if they didn't do what John said, they very well still could have missed out on the greatest thing, the greatest person ever come in contact with, the greatest being to ever lay their eyes on. This is the Son of God. This is the Savior. Can I say this this evening? So many people miss out on seeing Jesus in the moments of their lives because they take too long to move their eyes in His direction. So many people will live out much of their life looking at anyone and anything else and never giving Jesus much more than a passing glance. Jesus was in the crowd and they no doubt saw him there, but they paid him no attention. They were too focused on anything and everything else. Let me ask you this tonight. When was the last time you really looked at Jesus? You really saw Jesus moving and working in your life. You say, preacher, it's been a while since I've seen Jesus working in my heart and in my life. I would submit to you it very well could be because your focus is not in the right place. Now, I'll tell you this evening, when was the last time, let me ask you this, when was the last time you saw him working in your day-to-day life? When was the last time you stopped what you were doing and you looked for him on purpose? You see, when John said, behold, he wanted them to look For him on purpose. When was the last time that in the moments of your life you said, I'm going to look for Jesus everywhere I go. God wants us, our attention to be turned. John's trying to do that here. He said, behold, expecting them to do that. Can I say beholding is not just a redirection of sight, but it is a redirection of one's focus. Not he's telling them, when he talks about focus, he's not just talking about what you put your eyes on, but he's talking about what you keep your eyes on. Let me ask you tonight, are you not just from time to time putting your eyes on Jesus, putting your eyes on the things of God, but are you keeping your eyes on him? I'm telling you, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. God tells us to look to him. Right. 
to look upon him, to, to fasten our focus there. You may be here this evening. You came to church hoping that I have been focused on Jesus throughout the week enough to preach to you something today that you could that you could get some help from. You want me to have been focused for you all week to give you something today. But can I ask you this? How much focused have you been on Jesus throughout the week? Don't just, I'm telling you, if you're expecting me to be focused enough on him for the both of us, it's going to be hard to do. You've got to keep your eyes on him. I'll, I'll say this, you may hear the message today and leave still not concerned with, with keeping your focus on Jesus because you're not, you're, not interested in going, you're not interested in doing what I preach to you from the Bible today anyway. God has the message for you. It, you, you will choose what you do with the message. And I'm telling you, it's been on the bottom shelf tonight. I'm t- let's, keep, let, let's put our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. This is a curious word. Uh, this is, uh, this is a, a current word, a constant word, a concise word. It's plain enough for us to know what he's talking about. It's a clear word. God has through this passage made things oh so clear what he wanted them to do, and what he wants us to do. My question for you this evening is, are you going to put your eyes on Jesus? Not just, not just for tonight's service. You might have seen some things about Jesus, about God in the service tonight, and that's wonderful, but what are you going to do tomorrow? Are you going to look for Jesus in your day tomorrow on purpose? Are you going to look to him? Are you going to look for him on the pages of the word of God? Amen. Preachers of old used to say, if you go to the word of God, Dr. Stan Wardlaw used to say this to me, and others used to say it to him, no doubt. I said that when you come to the word of God, look for Jesus on every page. If you come to a page... Or it doesn't seem like you find him, that's okay. Just turn the page. You'll probably find him twice. Are you going to look for Jesus tomorrow? Are you going to keep your eyes on him? The success to our Christian life. Yes, yes, it is Bible. Yes, it is prayer. The power of God comes through our prayer life. But I'm telling you, all of those things can be surmised with this, that we put our eyes on Jesus and we keep it there. We leave everything else where it is. It's not worth your focus. It's not worth your attention. Keep it on him. If you'll set your affections on him, all of the other things will be added to you. Let's behold, like John the Baptist said, we need to behold. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Jesus, I will sell Jesus.